0: Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, this is in the New Testament, and so uh, make sure you step in there, Romans 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Um, big number 12, and we're going to just look at two verses today, verses 1 and 2. We are going to actually finish up our series on worship this week. And uh, the title of this message is what our series title has been, All of Life as Worship. And throughout this whole time, our series idea has been when we uh, see God for who he's revealed himself to be, all of life becomes worship. But practically speaking, we need to be able to ask the question, uh, how does that play itself out how does that become true in application in how we live and how we walk and how we navigate life and so before we jump into the text itself uh, i want you to fill in this blank okay so i'm going to say something and you just speak out fill it in all right life is good hard what was that? Dirty? Is that what that was? Journey, Journey. okay. See, I can't hear super well. It can't be dirty. I, mean, I wasn't I wasn't saying I wasn't a thing it could be. I mean it is. It's messy. I was gonna say life is messy, so it's good. A gift? Adventure. I heard short over here. Busy. Tiring. Exciting. Adventurous. Simple. Life is simple. I like I like your mantra. What else? Life is a box of chocolate. There we go. (laughs) Okay. Now, you guys have come up with way more responses than I anticipate. I'm I'm really excited about that. And as I sat down this week, here's here's the ones that I've heard most commonly when I ask this question, or when you hear this statement spoken, life is short, life is hard, uh, the thing we tell our kids is uh, life is what? Get? Not fair, see? that's I knew. Once I said kids, it was going to be... How many of you heard that growing up at some point? Yeah. I see some kids who are like, I still hear this. <laughs> uh, another one, life is what you make it make of it. Uh, These are really common. But here's the thing, regardless of how you answer this question out loud or in your head, um, there is a mutual reality that comes to the surface. And here's what it is, whether recognized or not, all of life is worship. The question is worship of what? What? The reality is, all of life, we are bowing in submission to something or someone. The deep-rooted question is, what is that in our life? And that's really the focus question of today. Every one of us is living our lives in worship to something. Who Or what are you worshipping? Romans 12 verse 1. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, may you open our eyes to the truth of your word. May you convict us of the error in our own way, and by your spirit bring about transformation for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this letter, Paul is writing to the Roman church. Everyone say church. Paul's concerned that this people recognize who God is, what he has done on their behalf, and what that should mean for them in practice. To emphasize this further, we do need to understand that Paul is indeed writing to the church that is, those who by proclamation of faith in Jesus are adopted into God's eternal family. While there is application here for the unbeliever, the direct attention is meant to flow to those who've made a decision to say, I choose to follow Jesus. Maybe the believer here is wrestling with what life devoted to Christ should really look like. And how to go about discerning that. It's a good question to be asking. For the unbeliever who is hearing these words, the application is very simple as in all of Paul's letters throughout Scripture. The application for the person who doesn't know where they stand in Christ or who is questioning that or who is doubting that, this is what you grab onto. <clears throat> you are a sinner separated from God and in need of more than yourself. God has made a way for that to happen in Christ. And calls you, by His Spirit, to surrender yourself to Him and be reborn as a transformed follower of Jesus. The end. And at the heart of who we are, church family, that simple application has to be the primary one that we seek to grab hold of and understand and walk and live in light of, before we can try to do, step into anything else, we have to root ourselves into the true gospel, which is that there is salvation in no one else but in Jesus. Verse 1 here begins <clears throat> with an appeal A longing, a desiring that God's people, the church, would understand this. I appeal, Paul appeal, appealing to them, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what's interesting here is that the appeal is made... With an understanding of God's mercies at the forefront. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. And the question we should be asking any time we encounter this is, what are these mercies that Paul is appealing by? And what I will tell you in this is, that that is a perfect example as to why we communicate over and over again to you that we cannot simply read a, a small section of Scripture and expect to understand the scope of it all. These are letters meant to be read in whole. And so if you have not read before, if you've not read the book of Romans, your challenge for this week is to read or listen to chapters 1 through 11 of Romans in order to grasp the full scope of of the mercies of God that Paul has already talked about in his letter. But to highlight a few of those, God has mercifully revealed himself to mankind. Romans 1, 19 and 20, where it says that God, God's the things that can be known about God have been revealed in all creation so that no one is without excuse. That's God's mercy. He doesn't have to reveal himself to his people, to his creation. He has chosen to reveal himself to us. He is merciful. Though you are sinners having fallen short of God's glory, he has offered justification by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Romans 3:23 and 24. For we are all sinners all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by His grace through Christ. Romans 5.8, while we were yet still sinners, still in our sin, Christ died for us. Not when we had arrived. Not when we had come to a place of grasping this as an entirety, but no, while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. That little statement in revealing the mercies of God should fly in the face of anyone who thinks that you have to be in the right place to come to church. Unfortunately, we as the church... At times inadvertently have made the church to be just that a place for the healthy rather than a hospital for the sick. Yet it's in his mercy that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want to talk about God's mercy. It is in that verse. Romans 10:12. there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek for God is bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So in light of those truths, Paul says, I appeal to you, church, by the mercies of God himself in light of what I have already shown you. In light of who God has revealed himself to be, I appeal to you to what present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now another interesting item here. the word "present" here is written in a piece of Greek called the Arist text. Or aorist tense, sorry. The aorist tense. And really what the aorist tense means is it is not a constrained time limits. So when we, we identify something in the past tense, it happened when? In the past. We identify something as present tense, it's meant to have application when? Now, if we identify something in future tense, it happens when? Later. The aorist tense is meant to be understood not as a moment in time but an ongoing action. So when we read this, Paul isn't just saying, "Hey, you need to make a decision to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God and then go on with your life." This is not what he's saying. In fact, quite the opposite. It would be more literally understood to go keep on presenting yourself As a living sacrifice to God. Keep doing it. Don't stop. Don't make a mark and say I'm a sacrifice to God. And then live contrary to this truth. Keep doing it. Why should the church do this? says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's where this connects and ties with this idea of worship. Now, one of the really interesting things about the word spiritual here, because honestly, if we're honest, we read that, we go, what does that even mean? And we could tie it with John 4 when Jesus told the woman at the well, uh, God is desiring people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, But here's the cool reality. The word there translated spiritual is the word logicane. Now, what does that sound like to you? Logical. Logical. It's translated here as spiritual, but it can also be understood as reasonable or rational. In other words, it's as if Paul is saying to the church, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Why? Because it makes sense. It makes sense in light of what God has done for you. In light of who he is, that you would choose to walk and live day after day faithfully for who he longs for you to be as his people. Spiritual worship, yes, reasonable, rational, logical. This, when we understand the weight of what has been done for us in Christ, should be the first step we take to go, I want to give all, I want all of my life to be worshipped before my King. Another really interesting aspect of this that should confuse us a little bit is, it says, present your bodies as a what sacrifice? Living. Everyone say living. Now, this would come across kind of strange when you think about it. Because a sacrifice, if we understand it in context with the Old Testament law, is something that's killed on behalf of Another. I, I made a sacrifice. This died so that this could come to life. So this whole idea of living, a living sacrifice—that it's not dead; it's living. What does this? What does? All right, let me ask you this: What does something do when it's alive? It it moves. It has function or form. Um, we. <laughs> this reminded me of this. <clears throat> Some of you, some of you may have seen a video online. We had a chipmunk in our house the other day. Okay. It got into the basement. And one of my first questions to my wife when she calls me on the phone and says, yeah, this thing is in our basement. Um, one of my first questions is, is it alive? Is it is it still alive? Because it's really easy to deal with if it's dead. Not so easy if it's alive. And, and what do we look for in that? It, and at the time its eyes were shut. So she moved a little closer and it opened its eyes and she goes, yeah, it's alive. And and so in that moment, what do we mean by that? We mean it's it's living, it's active, it could move, it's going to do things. It's not just going to remain stationary in one place. We could say the same thing about when you see a statue or a painting of a person, an animal, a location. The mountains, the beach. What is it about that entity that makes it distinct from the real thing? It's frozen in place. It's stopped in a moment. It is not going to change one bit. And I don't think I would have to touch base with many people here to, uh, to have you convinced that staring at a picture of the beach is not the same as being there. No, it's not. See? God, this is really important church, God is not interested in decorating eternity with pieces of art. He doesn't long for us to be a stationary stone, unmoved and unchanged by the truths that so often we can speak. And yet, do they have a transformational impact on our lives? The very idea of being a living sacrifice means that I am mobile. It means that I recognize a mission and a calling and I say, I'm going to go. I'm going to do. I'm going to be that which God in Christ has called me to. Why? Because in light of the mercies of God, it makes sense. How do we do this? How do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice? This is where verse 2 comes in. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say "transformed." transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, at first glance, we may be prone when asking the question, how do we present ourselves as a living sacrifice? How do we do this? we may be prone to say the way we present ourselves to God is to not conform to the world. Because that's what we see first. Do not be conformed to the world. Okay, to present myself to God as a living sacrifice. I'm not going to conform to the pattern of the world. While that may be right in theory, it misses the most crucial part of this. In order to present ourselves to God, As holy and acceptable, we must be able to discern what the will of God is. In order to present ourselves to God and say, here is all of me, holy and acceptable before you, we have to know what God's will even is. Otherwise, we're shooting at nothing. And there's this great, I, I wish I could have found this for you, but there's this great graphic. I want you to picture for a moment an archery target over here. And someone's over here with a bow and arrow and they're shooting at this target and they're constantly hitting below the bullseye. Constantly shooting low. Now logically speaking, what would you tell this person to do? Shoot higher, right? Aim higher, good. What we tend to do instead is we go, the target's wrong. And so we cut the legs off the target so it's lower and we come back here and we shoot the exactly the same way we've been shooting. And now oh, I scored a bullseye. No, you just lowered the target. And that's very different than understanding what God has called us to. Knowing what the will of God is. What is his target that he says we're to be aiming at? Because it doesn't matter what any one of you thinks the target should be. What matters is what God has already said it is. And there's a very simple answer to this. The target you are to aim for is who? Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Okay, Turn to your neighbor and say aim for Jesus. That's That's where we have to aim. We have to realign ourselves with what God has called us to. And here's the kicker. This can only happen if we are transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why or how do I do that? uh, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. What is good and acceptable and perfect. The short of it is, in order to discern God's will, I have to be transformed by God's Spirit. In order to be transformed, I need the Spirit of God present in my life. In order for the Spirit to be present in my life, I have to be surrendered to God. The Spirit of God will not dwell in the person who has not committed their life to Christ. So if you are here and you have not committed your life to Jesus and you are seeking to discern, what is the will of God for me? The will of God for you is to understand that you need Christ. You need Jesus. You need more than yourself. And when you make that decision, it begins a journey for the rest of your life. Worship is walking in obedience to God's will, which comes From knowing what God's will is, which is the result of discernment that comes when you are transformed by God's spirit. It's dependent on him. The act of surrender is the starting point. This church in Rome had already surrendered to God in Christ. Now they needed to actively present themselves as an ongoing living sacrifice. Put your finger in Romans and turn to First Peter one. First Peter one Starting in verse thirteen. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written. You shall be holy for I am holy. Holy. It's a challenging standard to set, isn't it? Now flip back a little bit to Ephesians 2. Because now the standard's been set. And when we look at that standard, it's not all that encouraging. Deeply challenging. And here's what we need to know in Ephesians 2. Starting in verse 1. It says, And you were dead. Everyone say dead. dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, Walk in them. Living sacrifice. The hard reality when we understand this is that those passions, those things of our past don't just disappear so easily, do they? In fact, those are the things oftentimes the enemy employs to convince us we're not good enough. Who could we? consider ourselves to be? How could we be deserving of any love or acceptance or worth or value? These are the lies of the deceiver. And yet, in the midst of every one of Satan's lies, there's an aspect of truth. And the aspect of truth in that is we're not worthy apart from Jesus. But in Christ, we've been made new. In Christ, we are transformed. In Christ, there is hope where there previously was no hope. In Jesus' name, there is salvation. And yet, so often, our desires turn to what they used to be. And this falls right back into our beginning question. Who or what do you worship? Really? If we really take a a look, it will come to the surface. Now, I'm curious, how how many people do we have in here who have seen or enjoyed the Lord of the Rings? Okay, quite a few. I want to read a little excerpt out of one of Timothy Keller's books talking about this in relation to some spiritual significance that does a fantastic job of bringing to the surface Core issues that we face and my prayer is this will help you to answer that question. Who or what does your life today worship? The central plot device of the Lord of the Rings is the Dark Lord Sauron's ring of power Which corrupts anyone who tries to use it however good his or her intentions are The ring is what professor Tom Shipey calls a psychic amplifier which takes the heart's fondest desires and magnifies them to adulterous proportions. Some good characters in the book want to liberate slaves or preserve their people's land or visit wrongdoers with just punishment. These are all good objectives, but the ring makes them willing to do anything to achieve them. Anything at all. It turns the good thing into an absolute that overturns every other allegiance or value. The wearer of the ring becomes increasingly enslaved and addicted to it, for an idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it, and therefore it drives us to break rules we once honored, to harm others and even ourselves in order to get it. Who or what does your life worship today? What does your time, money, energy, and focus say about your devotion? What are you willing to go to any length to accomplish or achieve? Where does faith fit into that mix? You see, when we see God for who he's revealed himself to be. Life becomes worship. The danger is that something else. Will take his place in your life. When we see God for who he's revealed himself to be, our earthly struggles shrink in comparison. When we see God for who he's revealed himself to be, the worries of this world fade. When we see God for who he's revealed himself to be, we long to serve no other. When we see God for who he has revealed himself to be, we can't help but bow before him. Who do you see God to be? Now I'm going to have the worship team come. And in closing, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 23. Start at verse 23. This is Jesus speaking. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That sounds like a sacrifice to me. Verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him Will the Son of Man be ashamed when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels? But I, tell you the, tell, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Who do you see God to be? Who or what are you worshiping? In your life, you cannot serve two masters. Those are the words of Jesus, too. But you're the only one who can choose to live a life surrendered to Jesus, surrendered to Him, or surrendered to you, fill in the blank. Whatever life is, you choose. You will leave here today having made a choice to be fully surrendered to God in Christ or to continue in surrender to whatever your answer to that question is. There is one way to life. And it has nothing to do with anything that you are chasing in this world, family. Nothing. But there is life in Jesus. I'm gonna say that again and I wanna hear resounding amen from those of you who believe that to be true because this is our hope, church. There is life in Jesus. Amen. Amen. That is so true. And if you don't know where you stand in that or you don't know how, you don't, I don't know how to, how to be surrendered to Christ. Don't leave here today without having assurance of that. Don't leave here today without whether it's committing your life to Christ for the first time or recommitting your life to say, I have not been living surrendered to Christ, but I know I need to. And my goodness, if, if you're going, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know what that looks like. You grab me. I don't care how long we're here. You grab me. Let's talk about this. Because I have no guarantee that you or me is going to be here next week. I have no hope of that. But I have one hope that sure and that's if I'm not here on this planet next week I'm with I'm I'm in eternity with my father. I have that hope and I want you to have that hope too. Don't leave here today without having that assurance. Father as we consider this, I pray that this would be transformational as we consider how we worship. How do we do this? God, may we may we see who you've revealed yourself to be in your word and creation and all around us and the people around us, God. And may that cause us to walk in humility and recognition of who you are and what you've done. Open up our eyes, Lord. In Jesus' name.